0: Welcome to Movable Dough. This is Steve Danielson. Join me as I interview and promote living composers. In this series of interviews, I talk with composers about their musical journeys, their past successes and setbacks, and their current projects. For more information about this podcast, as well as a complete archive of episodes, please visit sdcompose.com slash movabledoe. Hey, this is Steve. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Movable Doe. My guest today is Dr. Jonathan Campbell. Jonathan earned his BA in music from Luther College in Iowa, where he studied conducting with Weston Noble. He then earned a master's of sacred music from Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, where he studied with Anton Armstrong. He earned a DMA in choral conducting from North Dakota State University. And Jonathan currently works as the director of music and fine arts at Claremont United Church of Christ and sings professionally and consults at Pomona, Pomona College. His compositions are published through GIA Publications, Augsburg Fortress, and Concordia Publishing House. Jonathan Campbell, welcome to Movable Doe. Thank you. I'm happy to be here with you. So, Jonathan, going through your bio, your education took you all through the Midwest. Uh, Where did you originally call home?
1: I'm so glad you asked that. People are oftentimes... Sort of confused by, by me <laughs> and uh, where 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 my roots are. So I grew up in Oregon, of all places. Really, I grew up I grew up in Salem, Oregon. Yes, and I I wanted to sing in uh, uh, you know one of the finest colleges or college choirs in America, and that took me to the Midwest, uh, where I sang at Luther College. That's how I became kind of a Midwest transplant for a while. Gotcha.
0: You know, just a little side note. My daughter is currently engaged to get married in September. She is marrying a young man from Salem, Oregon. So just a, a little connection there to Salem.
1: Hey, that's great. Yeah, Salem, <laughs> Salem, as some people might know, is is very well known for its excellent choral programs. Um, something of an oasis um, in the Northwest, not to say anything negative about other programs, but the the choral programs in Salem are particularly strong. And my high school choir director, Lauren Wins really helped to kind of launch me on my way um, and helped to introduce me to excellent choral music. So that's something I'm really grateful for.
0: Yeah, that's fabulous. Did you, did you just grow up in Salem your,
1: your whole adolescence or did you move around or? Well, I was born in San Francisco, but moved to Salem when I was basically still a baby. So yeah, I really, I really grew up in the Pacific Northwest and in Salem and, and uh, that whole region has a special place in my heart.
0: So when did you start making music? Were you doing piano lessons or singing or what did you do first?
1: Uh, that's a great question. I, I was a, what you'd consider, I suppose, a normal musical kid uh, for most of my elementary years. Um, my, my first uh, strong musical memory was hearing a string quartet come to my elementary school and demonstrate their instruments. And uh, this is kind of a, <laughs> this is a funny story I've told throughout my life. Uh, I was immediately drawn to the cello. I thought the cello was just this divine, mellow, beautiful, kind of melancholy instrument. And I ran home and told my mom I wanted to play the cello. And God bless my mom. She said, you can't carry a cello to (laughs) to school and back. How about if you learn the violin? I hated the violin. (laughs) I I played the violin for two years and then I quit. Um, And it wasn't until I sang a renaissance motet in seventh grade that again, my musical uh, kind of alarm bells went off. Um, That's maybe a question that you haven't quite gotten to yet. But um, that was one of my lightning bolt moments was singing a renaissance motet in seventh grade. And I've sort of never looked back since then.
0: Did you have a musical family as well? Were they all doing music also?
1: No, um, I'm, I'm definitely the outlier in my family. Um, I mean, my siblings, I've got three siblings. They'll have what you'd call normal, uh, <laughs> no, normal professional jobs. Um, and I'm very proud of my siblings for their great success in their own fields. Um, I'm the only kind of artist, musician person in my family. However, uh, my family uh, exposed me to music and art growing up. My family has always been a great appreciator of music and art, and uh, for example, my grandfather uh, used to play Debussy and Bach quite a bit, and other composers, but um, he he, uh, would play Debussy, Bach, and Chopin um, just for fun. He was a physician. He was an internist, but, but music played an important part in his life, and classical music in particular was something that my family enjoyed and continues to enjoy, so... I remember sitting with my dad in the living room listening to Prokofiev, for example, as a child, listening to Romeo and Juliet um, and uh, Alexander Nevsky and other things like that that were really exciting and Tchaikovsky. So from a young age, I've been exposed to great music and, and really um, sort of felt its power, like it resonated with me at a young age. So
0: did you always dream of being a musician or did was there something else that you thought of at
1: first? Um, <laughs> I'm what you would call a reluctant musician. <laughs> um, music, has ha- music for me has had an effect of sort of like being washed downstream in a river. Um, it's useless to swim against it. Um, you know, I, I've spent a good part of my life uh, almost hoping for like a normal life, hoping for a normal job. Uh, I still kind of joke, I, I joke, and this is purely in jest, but I kind of joke that I should have been a dentist, like... Um, but, uh, I just love music too much and I'm, uh, it's just simpatico with kind of like my soul and my essence. And, um, it's been interesting feeling the gravitational pull of it my entire life and, um, oftentimes struggling against it, but ultimately, uh, relinquishing because it's what I'm good at. It's what I love and it feels natural to me. So I, I, I don't swim against the current. I swim with the current. And I've embraced the fact that I'm a musician, and that's um, uh, just part of my identity, professionally and personally. And when, when was that
0: moment that you decided you wanted to branch into composing?
1: Um, so there's been more than one moment. Um, there's a funny story in high school. I remember I was just experimenting on manuscript paper, writing out notes, just kind of playing around. I didn't really understand how to write music, but... I was looking at scores, and I was just—I was—I was was trying to write some things down, kind of carefully. And I, I brought it to my high school choir director, and I asked him to play it. And he sat down, and it was terrible, uh, and hilarious. But as uh, it was actually a she, as she was playing it, uh, something happened inside of my body. Uh, It's hard to describe, but it's that feeling—it's that feeling of having your heart kind of leap into your throat, you know, that kind of feeling where you want to jump up and down and scream because I realized that I could write music. It, something snapped for me in that moment because I realized I could put it on the paper and people could play it. And um, that was almost like a cataclysmic moment for me. And I I started writing after that moment and, and really trying to figure it out and figure out how to write music. And that path, you know, developed through college where I was you know, a young man and confused. And I spent a lot of time writing art songs. Um, I wrote a ton of art songs in college. Um, And looking back on it, that was a really good way to kind of cut my teeth and to kind of understand how piano keyboard and voice parts can kind of go together. Um, And then I started my career in church music, which is where most of my career has been Uh, some higher ed, but a lot of church music and, um, I started to look carefully at the uh, choral music that was being published uh, for churches and uh, being dismayed by a lot of it being dismayed. And this is uh, I don't want to sound too harsh, but, but um, sometimes the um, choral music written for churches in a popular style or commercial style uh, didn't satisfy what I thought um Churches could do, or, 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 I thought churches could do better, and um, I had this feeling in, inside myself um, that was I know I could do better, I know, I know I could do better. I knew I could do better, and so I started to write uh, music for my church choirs, and it took me a long time to kind of get the knack of it, but um, I, I uh, was fairly satisfied with some of my work that I've done, and have continued to work in that vein. Um, because I felt like I had something to offer. And uh, it may not be great and stupendous, but it's at least the best I can do. Um, And I would oftentimes write uh, and still do write uh, for churches to um, solve a problem. For example, there'll be a Sunday where there's a piece for a particular subject or a fact that doesn't exist. And so I have to write it. Um, And I'm always as a composer trying to improve myself, trying to solve my own compositional problems. So that's a personal growth journey and a professional growth journey. For example, uh, my earlier music was really diatonic. Um, You know, not many sharps and flats and I would mostly stay in the key signature. You know, after about 10 years of that, I got really tired and really bored. And I really wanted to branch out and write more chromatic music and move through keys and tonicize different areas and explore uh, more colorful harmonies. And I've really been successful in that. I'm really proud of that development. So for me, for me uh, to answer your question, it's sort of a multi-pronged answer. But from a personal point of view, I find it, uh, immense satisfaction in developing myself as a composer and improving my skills. That's just uh, one of my life's joys. Yeah. So you mentioned your work with the,
0: the church. So like me, you're also a conductor, and as a uh, in addition to being a condu- composer. Uh, I know you've conducted choirs at several universities and colleges, as well as eight years directing Honors Choir of Southeast Minnesota, an audition middle school choir Uh, that resonated with me since I'm teaching middle school right now. Uh, How would you say that your work as a conductor has influenced your work as a composer or vice versa?
1: Yeah, this is one of my absolute favorite questions. Um, I believe that every conductor should be a composer. Um, because it completely, I shouldn't say completely, it greatly influences your work as a conductor. I consider myself a conductor first, you know, my advanced degrees are all in conducting. Um, I'm not an academic composer. I don't have any advanced degrees in composing. Um, composing is a joy and, uh, I have had, you know, mentors and I've studied with people, um, Studied comp- composition quite a bit actually, but but not um, in a f- not with a, a formal degree behind it. And of course, the best composer teachers I've had are people like you know Beethoven and Bach and Duparc and Peter Warlock and things like that. Um, but as a conductor, um, being a composer is hugely advantageous because when I'm looking at a score. Uh, behind the podium, I'm seeing it through a composer's eyes. And I think that's really important. Um, I don't know about other conductors, I'll just speak for myself, but I know I'm able to see things in the score that I wouldn't be able to see if I were not a composer. Uh, For example, um, a lot of rhetorical devices. So a a composer will write something into a piece that's supposed to kind of represent something, even if it's as abstract as an idea. Those, those those qualities in a score are really apparent to me. I can see them right away. Um, and if you haven't been trained to look at music that way, you might miss those things. For example, I'll, I'll give you just a really simple example. There's a, uh, an anthem composed or arranged by Kaylee Scott based off of an um, old chant called Gracious Spirit Dwell in Me. And there's a section in the middle where the tenors and basses are singing the melody. It goes like this gracious spirit dwell with me i would gracious be de, 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 de. And it goes on like that and they're singing about the holy spirit and above them the the sopranos and autos are singing on long notes uh just on the syllable ah you just oh etc 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 that's really beautiful singing by the way um <laughs> uh, it's it's clear as day to me that the sopranos and altos in that context are representing the Holy Spirit. That's what that's what's happening. He's, he's, he's making a sort of a rhetorical or almost pictorial uh, portrayal of the Spirit in them singing on the Oz. And um, I would hope most conductors would see that. I don't know that they do. Um, so for me, composing and conducting are beautifully intertwined and fascinatingly intertwined. Uh, because also as a composer, I'm also you know thinking about myself as a practicing singer and as a practicing conductor. And as I'm writing the music, I'm thinking, how is this going to work to sing? How is this going to work to conduct? Um, so they, they really do cross-pollinate and they really do inform one another. And it also make, makes me much more critical. It gives me a much more critical eye because I'll be looking at a score and I'll say, uh, these voice parts were written by an organist who doesn't really know how to sing or doesn't know the voice very well, <laughs> right? Because they're very disjunct and the, whatever it is, or vice versa, you know, um, or there'll be an awkward spots to conduct that a composer just isn't really, <laughs> that's not on their mind. And those aren't bad things necessarily, but they're revealing things. They, they reveal to me kind of what the composer is thinking about. And I think that's uh, very fascinating.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Going back to what you you said earlier, you said that you are also a practicing singer. I know that you work professionally as a, a tenor as well. Uh, what is your favorite type of music to sing as a, as a tenor?
1: Yeah, well, I'm a first tenor, and I have always just enjoyed the kind of the mastery of blending my voice and tone with others. There's something just exquisite about that. Something something divine and beautiful. Um, and I feel like I'm really able to contribute. That's, that's also a very satisfying feeling is when you're singing with a group and you're at the height of your choral artistry and you know that you're helping. Um, you know, if I could get a little philosophical for a second, uh, I, I'm really a true believer in the importance and power of choirs because choirs are greater than the sum of their parts, You know, this group of human voices will combine to become a musical instrument um, that is greater than each individual voice in it. It becomes something else. And I think that being a part of that is such a beautiful example of human cooperation, um, collaboration, artistry, uh, an example of, of edifying the human experience, edifying the human spirit, uh, there's just so many things about it that are wonderful it, emphasizing individual responsibility coming together you know the the fruit of hard work uh, realized in a, in a performance uh, it just it just goes on and on and on and as a singer I just really cherish being a part of that um, some of my happiest memories and experiences in my life were particular choral performances this has switched for me recently um, in the last 10 years I've I've, I now find that experience mostly from behind the podium um, because I like, I like um, helping the entire choir to realize that, but that's one of the reasons why I continue to sing professionally because it keeps me in the shoes of a singer and uh, it keeps me in that perspective of being in the choir as opposed to being behind the podium. So that's another reason why I like to sing is it keeps me on my toes as a conductor all right. Thank you.
0: So so you and I connected just about a month or so ago, uh, at the time of this recording at least, uh, during a conversation on a Facebook group that we're both part of. The conversation stemmed from a question about publishing versus self-publishing. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on both of these avenues for composers?
1: Yeah, I think it's really fascinating and you're absolutely right. That's what we started to talk about. You know, composers are as individual as fingerprints. You know, each of us are so different and we all have to find what works best for us. So if anybody gives me advice and tells me how I should be doing myself or how I should be managing my career as a composer, uh, I'm very suspicious because (laughs) what works for you probably won't work for me. However, you might have something to offer me. You uh, as a proverbial you, you know, might have some or a perspective that I haven't, haven't considered and that's the benefit of social media, in conversations like this, I really value publishing in the traditional vein for several reasons. Um, I really value and increasingly value the rigor of the peer review process of having a group of people independent uh, independently review my music and decide that it's a worthy investment for their catalog. I think that that is extremely um, affirming and it's satisfying. And I think that the market is increasingly flooded by self-published composers uh, who don't go through that process. And with social media, you see uh, an equalizing effect of content. And this is true in politics too, right? It's one of the problems with uh, political misinformation is because if you put a piece of misinformation on social media, it it stands out equally against something that's verifiably true. Um, and that's not to say that self-published music isn't good. I, I know a ton of self-published composers who publish great work, and it's I really I really admire it. Um, so what I'm talking about is kind of a saturation of the self-published market. Um, and from the traditional vein, I as I said, I like the peer review part, and um, I enjoy that they market it for me. I love getting my Published and printed music in the mail. That's like my favorite. That's like that's like my Christmas to me. Is like I'll get my freshly printed music in the mail from the publisher with my name and the ISBN code on the back, and it smells like fresh ink. And it's it's like it's like bringing a newborn baby back from the hospital. You smell it, and you snuggle it, and you roll around with it. I'm just kidding, uh, but it is really fun. It's I find that very very fun. Uh, and, you know, from a personal point of view, I am not a really good self promoter. I don't, some composers are just excellent at that. They're excellent at designing their own web pages and uh, getting themselves out there and putting themselves up front. Uh, that's just not my gift. So, if someone else can publish my music for me and put it uh, on J.W. Pepper and other places and help to market it, I appreciate that. Um, I've tried a little bit of self-publishing, but, but have, have not had a lot of success in it. And I, I'm, I'm pessimistic that if I really pushed for self-publishing that I just wouldn't sell anything. Um, because the the market is so saturated with composers already and other people are are doing such an excellent job already at self-publishing. I'm not sure that I could, uh, compete reasonably well with them.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Well,
0: you know, speaking of, sort of personal lives you know it's no secret that this past year and a half has been rough on many people composers is not the least. Uh, so if I could get personal for a second, let's talk about the pandemic. How has the pandemic affected you personally and professionally and more importantly, what lessons are you bringing out with you on the other side?
1: Yeah, yeah you know we've lived through a historic time and are still living through it. Um, as a composer, uh, we've we've seen the, the the music publishing market almost completely co- collapse and, and crash. Um, I wrote some of my favorite pieces over the last three years, pieces I was really proud of, and they've almost all now been stopped, frozen in their tracks because the publishers are all frozen in their tracks, and I'm I'm discouraged that it's going to be years, perhaps, until these pieces can work their way through the process and be uh, available to people more widely. Um, The pandemic has been very difficult, of course, on on performing choral groups, as as we all know. Um, But I'm seeing a silver lining to this. I'm seeing, as choirs are slowly coming back, a renewed appreciation for what we do as singers, composers, and conductors. I'm seeing a renewed sense of this could all go away you know this could disappear we should be grateful and excited and thrilled that we have the privilege and honor of coming together to sing together um, and to make music together and so i'm i'm cautiously optimistic that that we might actually be on the cusp of an explosion of new uh choral music in america and new singing um, and maybe even uh, helping to build uh, new uh, um, bodies of singers, uh, new groups of singers, um, young people who, want, who might want to participate in choral music in ways that they haven't in the past. So I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic about that, that the pandemic might have actually taught us a lesson that music as we know it is sacred and fragile and should be cherished. And we should be excited and passionate about its potential in our lives.
0: That's a great perspective. So now let's take it a, a different direction for our last question before we take a break here. Uh, what is a book you have read recently that you think your, our listeners
1: should know about? Yeah. Um, this answer is going to seem strange, um, but I like children's books. Um, I, I read children's books quite a bit because I find them filled with wonder and uh, innocent beauty and poetry, isn't that funny? Uh, So two books I've read recently are The Complete Winnie the Pooh and Charlotte's Web. Uh, I've got two children and I enjoy reading to them aloud. And uh, even if I'm not reading to them aloud, I read these kinds of books because in these classics um, that we take for granted, we find gems, we find gems. Uh, I like the ending of the collected works of Winnie the Pooh so much Uh, I'd probably like it read at my memorial service. It is just that beautiful and sublime. Uh, In fact, I've even considered writing a a Winnie the Pooh cantata uh, or something (laughs) like that, because there's this wonderful joy and humor and sincerity and beauty in it. So if you haven't actually sat down and read Winnie the Pooh uh, and really read it, uh, the original milne and put the disney out of your mind just put the disney out of your mind it's just charming and delightful and uh, like i said i'm i'm just finishing charlotte's web it's probably the third time in my life i've read it and I'm, I'm talking about really reading it and paying attention to the sentence structure the details how descriptive white is when he's talking about things and how unsentimental and beautiful it is when charlotte dies it's um you know he doesn't milk it he doesn't try to make you cry In fact, I think the final sentence in the chapter is uh, she died alone um, because she's, you know, everyone's left the fair. It's just, it's really great. And it's just this great story about challenge and rebirth and uh, the seasons and the seasons of life. It's, it's really, it's really a parable. I think Charlotte's Web is a parable for uh, modern life. Um, So those kinds of books actually inform my music because they challenge me to think about um the simplest of things which of course are the most profound kind of things life and death growth the seasons children joy um all of those things which i think are also a part of my musical life
0: yeah sounds like sounds like you could turn either one of those into
1: a cantata (laughs) Yeah, maybe the the uh, Charlotte's <laughs> Web I think is probably not in the public domain. Probably not uh, yet. No, <laughs> <laughs> I think Winnie the Pooh is. So uh, that's a separate, you know, compositional question. You know, that I would ask you and all my compositional friends is, how do we struggle with setting prose to music? Because uh, you know, Winnie the Pooh obviously is not poetry; it's prose, and I've found setting prose to be much more difficult and fascinating to wrestle with. Um, But I I generally don't compose for the shelf. I don't compose uh, a piece of music just because I want to. I usually compose it because there's a need for it or someone's commissioned me or asked for it. So as much as I'd like to write a little short Winnie the Pooh cantata for, you know, chamber choir and uh, (laughs) woodwinds or something, I'm probably not going to do it unless someone asks me to. Sure. Well, if you do
0: end up writing it and need a baritone soloist, give me a call. Hey, all right. I'm in. Uh, Yeah.
1: (laughs) I think the baritone soloist would be a a really good one for Eeyore.
0: (laughs) Oh, that would be fantastic. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll listen to some of Jonathan's compositions. Welcome back. I'm talking today with Jonathan Campbell. So let's start today with the final harvest. So normally when I sing the hymn, Come, You Thankful People Come, which this is based on, uh, I usually sing it fairly up-tempo and joyful, but your setting starts almost mournful before blossoming into the joyful hallelujahs at the end. So can you talk to us about the choice to approach the piece this way? Yeah,
1: this is a fascinating piece. Um, this is a special piece to me for a couple of reasons. Um, it's a little older now. It's It's been, what, seven years or so since I wrote it. But um, at the time, I was working through the uh, Faith Partners um partnership, what's it called? The Fifth Partners Residency with the American Composers Forum, where I was in residence with a couple of churches. And part of that residency, of course, was to write them some music. It's a collaborative residency, obviously. So I would would work with the musicians in these churches. In the midst of that program, uh, one of the church musicians I was working with, he died. He died suddenly. um, And that put a halt to all of our work. And I was at one of those churches, um, I think it was maybe the week after he died, and we sang this hymn in church, Come Ye Thankful People, Come. And I heard the words in a completely different way. I heard them in a way I'd never heard them before. And it suddenly struck me that this is a memorial hymn. You know, we talk about, you know, gather all the fruits in, you know, gather in the final harvest. Uh, it's not about grain and wheat. It's about life. You know, I mean, that should be obvious to anyone who's thought about it, but, but the idea of gathering the harvest, um, and, and coming together is about, uh, the end of time. It's about the end of all things. And it's about how our lives are a, uh, are a time to do good work and then be harvested, right. Uh, in the most positive way possible. Like we, we, um, we share the fruits of our lives um, throughout our life and then at the end is the final harvest right uh, he also had two daughters that were violinists and so my thought was that the two violins would represent the mourning daughters mm. and that's why the opening uh, is just starts with a single violin and then the second violin joins and then there's a chain of suspensions which of course is you know known throughout all of music is to represent, you know, teardrops or, or some kind of sad sadness. And then the choir comes in, uh, it basically a half tempo. And the idea is that they're in, they're basically in mourning, but the piece fairly quickly blossoms into uh, joy and hope. So that's really uh, the thinking behind that piece. That is great. That
0: I, I caught some of that as I listened, but, Definitely not all of that. And I I appreciate that new perspective. So we're going to take some time now and listen to the Osberg Fortress Studio musicians perform The Final Harvest. Right, let's turn next to sorrow and sadness shall flee away so it's my understanding that this piece is a memorial to victims of the covid pandemic uh, i find pieces like this are of course more for the survivors who are left without their loved ones uh, so what does this piece say to them
1: well i think what this piece says to uh, a survivor of covid19 or or someone who's lost someone is that um sorrow and sadness shall flee away that there's hope that um, there is a sort of a requiem quality here. There's a, a line in the middle that talks about how, how the, de, the, the deceased are past rest um, with Lazarus. And that, of course, is a reference to the, the requiem mass. You know, in the Lux Eterna, it talks about how um, all of the, the saints of God, all of those people who have gone before are with Lazarus in heaven. And of course, you remember that Lazarus was the uh, poor beggar who uh, whose sores were licked by the dogs and who uh, really had a miserable time and was of course elevated into paradise and that's kind of the angle I was putting at there is that that there's peace and uh, peace and joy for those who've gone on but of course there's peace and joy for us in this life uh, that's the hope anyway. I really wanted to write this piece as sort of a post-COVID piece, a piece to celebrate that um, adversity will pass away. And, you know, it, it doesn't always pass away for everyone. I don't want to be naive about that, you know, uh, because cancers and diseases do kill people. And, and for those people that pass away, um, you know, the, the, the trial is real and the difficulty is real. Um, but through music... In poetry, we can hopefully bring hope uh, and beauty to people. That also helps them to process their grief, helps them to work through it. So that's—I think there's an element of that on this piece too. That um, that may be a catharsis, or hopefully some kind of catharsis for people. That's great.
0: Now, before the before we started recording today, you were telling me about the recording of this uh, performed by the Claremont United Church of Christ staff singers or the the section leaders. Could you tell us? About the sort of the situation uh, behind recording this piece,
1: yeah, of course. And that's the other interesting thing about it is that it's sort of a an artifact of COVID. Uh, you know, we're living through this historic time, and and like most people living through history, we don't really realize it when it's happening. Uh, so we tend to toss away um, the artifacts that maybe in seventy years will be interesting to people. Um, I think that this recording is an example of that. So we rec- I wrote it in February of 2021, just a couple months ago, and um, we weren't meeting for worship. The, the church wasn't meeting in person at that time because of the pandemic. So we were recording our music in advance. We would basically transformed our church into a recording studio. And instead of having my, my whole choir come, I would just have my paid staff singers come and we would basically socially distance. Um, around the chancel with our masks on and we would uh, record as well we could the music. So I wrote this for four parts with no divided voices because I literally couldn't divide the voices. <laughs> I only had four people. Um, one of the singers, uh, Devon Guthrie, is a, a famous soprano, a wonderful soprano. And so I wrote a soprano solo for her so that she could kind of shine. And the opening passage, of course, you'll hear her singing also as a solo, but that's intended for sopranos. It's intended for soprano section. So what, what you're hearing in this recording is basically a vocal quartet and piano with um, the soprano also singing a solo part. Of course, it's a, all a solo part because it's just one <laughs> soprano in the whole piece. So I would love to hear this done with an actual choir and a soprano solo. But um, we recorded this and then we edited edit, edited it <laughs> into our live stream worship service and that's where people first heard it um i had a the file the, the mp3 file extracted from that and that's what uh we have in the recording
0: okay well let's take some time here and we will listen to that recording of sorrow and sadness shall flee away by the claremont united church of christ staff singers with Devin guthrie a soprano soloist Let's turn next to the wild bird for SAB choir with descant and piano. So I really liked the piano part on this piece. It creates a nice support yet a contrast to the choir. So I'm
1: curious, did the piano part come first or the choral parts? Oh, that's a good question. Um, the piano part came first. Um, I, 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 you know, pieces pieces come to me very quickly. Um, I, 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 just sat down at the piano one morning and I just played this piece. Basically. I just sat down and went, and I figured out this kind of repeating chord progression. And then the rest of it came quick and I had it finished in my mind in just a couple of minutes. Um, it took a little bit longer to flesh it all out, but, uh, definitely the piano part came first and then the the vocal parts followed. So what is this piece about? Well, the text is the lone wild bird and it's, it's a great, lovely text because, It's religious, but it's not, um, what's the word, dogmatic. It's not, it doesn't name anybody. It doesn't name Christ or God or the Holy Spirit. It just talks about the lone wild bird in lofty flight is still with thee, uh, nor leaves thy sight. And the lone wild bird, what is it? Well, it's it's an analogy or a, a, a metaphor for the spirit. And that spirit could be different things to different people. So this piece, you know, could work um, to people that like to think about God or spirituality in a much more abstract way. It also can work in a Christian context, but it could also work in a, a Jewish context or or a different a different faith context. So I I like that about it. And uh, the observant person, of course, will probably uh, understand that the the sixteenth note figure in the left hand is sort of like a Uh, flapping of wings right or a fluttering of wings Uh, the idea is that there's a sort of bird-like activity throughout the entire piece Uh, and even that kind of mode of that you'll hear repeated it could be sort of like a bird call or a bird sound
0: okay well we are going to take some time here and listen to the lone wild bird performed by the pomona college choir conducted by jonathan campbell And lastly today, let's talk about Hush the Ocean Wild for SATB Choir. So I'm familiar with the text of this one, the hymn, Jesus, Savior, Pilot Me, but I really enjoyed this new setting incorporating more of the impression of the ocean and sailing. Uh, Can you tell us more about this piece and how it all came together?
1: Certainly, I'd be happy to. Um, I included this piece when you asked me for recommendations because it's unaccompanied. Um, I haven't published as much unaccompanied music, and that's mostly because of the practical situations of where I work, where oftentimes the choir sing uh, with accompaniment. This piece I did write um, abstractly. I didn't have a particular occasion or reason to write it. I just wanted to write it. Um, some Sometimes I like to take a traditional text or a traditional poem and reinterpret it. And that's what we have here. Um, I was interested in the word, uh, pilot Jesus Savior pilot me and I actually looked it up because I wasn't sure what that meant um, oftentimes we think of I shouldn't say we I'll just say I when I when I'd heard of this or sung this hymn in the past and and saw those words Jesus Savior pilot me I had an image of, of somebody sort of steering a ship right like at the tiller um, like at a like in an ocean storm and I looked it up and a pilot is actually the person who, uh, pilot's the ship into a harbor. It's a specific job. A pilot is not someone who uh, uh, navigates the ship out at sea. It's someone who has a specific purpose to navigate around the dangerous shoals and reefs of a, in, in, into a safe Harbor. And that to me is a much more poetic idea. And when I wrote this piece, I was, you know, experiencing some personal difficulty in my life. And I found some comfort in the thought that, that Jesus could be a pilot or a force could be a pilot in my life into safer waters. So uh, the kind of uh, angsty part of the piece is that we're not there yet, that it's a process that, that coming into a safe Harbor, coming into a place of calm and peace is sometimes um, part of the journey. And sometimes we're not there yet. And sometimes uh, we are tossed and tossed about by the, by the storms of life. There's a little, uh, A little forward I wrote for this piece, which is unusual for me, but I wrote a little preface and I talked about the parallel idea to Thomas Campion's song, Never Weather Beaten Sail, which, if you don't know it, is a great lute song that Thomas Campion wrote in um, the late days of Queen Elizabeth, right? And the text is, never weather beaten sail, more willing bent to shore, never tired pilgrim's limbs affected slumber more than my weary soul no longs to fly out of my troubled breast. And it's to, it just talks about this idea that the sail is bent towards shore. The sail wants to steer the ship home to a safe place. And so those are just some images that have always resonated with me so strongly. And I wanted to find uh, some expression in this piece. And uh, that's, what it, that's what I tried to do.
0: Awesome. Well, we're, we'll take some time here and we will listen to Hush the Ocean Wild, performed by the GAA Studio Choir. So Jonathan, if my listeners want to learn more about you and your music, where can they find you online?
1: Well, uh, they can friend me on <laughs> Facebook. Uh, I have a website that I'm not super happy about, so I'm just going to leave that out. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I have a SoundCloud. If you just go to SoundCloud and type Jonathan D. Campbell, uh, there are a lot of Jonathan Campbells out there, but there are not a lot of Jonathan Ds. Uh, So I figured this out through searches. So if you search for me, Jonathan D. Campbell on SoundCloud, you can hear a good representation of my published works. There's quite a few there now uh, and some unpublished. That's a great place to listen to my music. Um, And of course the various publishers or just go to JW Pepper and search Jonathan D. Campbell. Um, I did go through a name change about uh, five years ago. So sometimes my works will be under Jonathan Strumman Campbell. Um, So after I was divorced, the Strumman Uh, uh, went away from from my uh, formal name. Um, But it is the same person. (laughs) (laughs) So you might see my name in both ways. But, uh, you know, like most composers, I I, uh, love to talk to people and be contacted. So I'd encourage people to, you know, find me on Facebook or just send me a message or ask me questions directly. And I'd be happy to uh, respond.
0: All right. Well, listeners out there, I encourage you to do that. And hey, listeners, did you know that Movable Dough has merch available? We do. Visit sdcompose.com slash movabledough and click on the merch link to visit our friends at Tee Public, where you can buy a T-shirt, a hoodie, a pillow, phone case, stickers, pins, magnets, whatever, uh, with the Movable Dough logo on it. A portion of every purchase comes back to help support the show. Uh, If you're not needing more stuff, but would like to help support the show, visit anchor.fm slash movable dough and click support. That's anchor.fm slash movable dough and click support. So Jonathan, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Thank
1: you for joining me today on movable dough. Thank you so much for having me. It's just a a joy to talk to you about my music and talk about uh, music in general. really appreciate it. My
0: guest today was composer Dr. Jonathan Campbell. If you have a recommendation for a future guest or an idea for the show, please email me at movabledoe at gmail.com. This is Steve Danielson. Keep the music moving.